Hello. Unfortunately, the first several minutes of the original scripture reading and sermon were lost. So we've re-recorded the scripture reading, but cannot reproduce the first few minutes of the sermon. We apologize for that, but we still believe this recording will be helpful to you, and we hope that you listen. Thank you, and God bless. The scripture reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the married and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband and the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever, and he consents to live with her, he should, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches." Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he was called in the Lord as a bondservant, is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he was free when called as a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him remain with God. Now, concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in the view of the present distress, 
It is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you of that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let them marry, it is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet, in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. This is God's Word. He's just repeating and rephrasing what Jesus has already said in the Gospels. But at times when he says, now this is what I say, not the Lord, but I, what he's doing there is shedding light on the fact that Jesus spoke to a Jewish audience. But the apostles were dealing with largely Gentile churches who had come out of paganism and a secular view of sexuality. So what the apostles, including Paul, had to do when they taught on marriage and singleness and sex was take the truth of Jesus in the Gospels, take the truth of the law of Moses in the Old Testament, and apply it forward for Christians living in a secular context. But it's all God's truth whether it's coming from Jesus and Paul's just rephrasing it, or whether it's coming from Paul as an apostle applying, contextualizing the truth of Jesus to the current situation in Corinth. So back to what Paul's saying, regardless of your situation, stay as you are. Don't seek something else. So if you're unhappy, if you're bored, if you're frustrated in your current situation, there's really great wisdom here for you. Whether you're married or whether you're single or whether you're not sure what you should be, Jesus is our best hope for contentment. That's where Paul's going. Jesus is our best hope for contentment in any situation. 
And today I want to talk to you about finding your identity in being married or finding your identity in being single and how either pales in comparison to finding your ultimate identity in Jesus Christ. Your identity as a married person or your identity as a single person, but in all things, your identity in Jesus Christ. Now, historically, in all societies, marriage has been and is the norm, or or there wouldn't be civilization. Paul had to establish that for the Corinthians, but but in a Christian context. And he opens up by uh, quoting one of their slogans. This becomes his practice throughout the letter. Uh, They had sent him a previous letter, uh, testing him and, and, and... challenging him on things he had sent in some other previous letter. Neither of those letters survived history. Uh, But he quotes them. Now, concerning the matters about which you wrote, and now he quotes a slogan of theirs, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Uh, Maybe and maybe not. Paul has to respond to this. Now, it appears that, that the Corinthians' exposure to ancient dualism that, that, that pervaded all of the Mediterranean world, we talked about that a bit, uh, how that ancient dualism uh, really was impacting their view, not only on sexuality, but even marriage itself. Remember last week we had talked about Nancy Piercy's treatment of the concept of ancient dualism, the idea that the physical world is corrupt because it's falling apart and decaying, and that the spiritual world is the true reality, what we truly want to attain to. Uh, so that has all sorts of implications if, if you believe that. Actually, that dualism is very much active and present in our society today. The idea that personal self-expression is what matters most, but your body, uh, the physical reality, it doesn't you can do what you want to it. You can manipulate your body as you wish. Um, what's important is what you think and how you feel and how you express yourself. In a way, uh, that's what the ancients believed. And, and that's, that's the ocean in which the Corinthians swam, so to speak. Uh, the soul is good and ultimate. The body is weak and falling apart and doesn't really matter that much. Now, how does that impact sexuality? We looked at that last week. How does it impact marriage and relationships? We're going to look at that now because basically uh, this is probably what was happening. If they believed this and, and, it's, and somehow adopted a form of Christianity that was based on that dualism, the separation between somebody's soul and somebody's body, this is what it might have looked like. On the one hand, it encouraged some of them to be sexually licentious, just full license, full bore, anything goes. And we looked at that last week because in Corinthians chapter 6, he was telling some of the men, stop going to the temple prostitutes. That is not okay. On the other hand, it apparently was also encouraging something else, more of a spiritual legalism. Well, if what matters is the soul and we are now Christians and our life is in Christ and we're super spiritual, well, the world is passing away and our bodies are decaying and dying. So you know what? Marriage... Marriage is not going to be around forever, and my body's not going to be around forever, so I guess to be truly spiritual, we should refrain from sex. 
That's probably what Paul is responding to, reflected in that idea that it's, it's not good for a man to touch, to go near, to light up, is what the Greek meant, to light up or ignite a woman. Paul had to address this. It's very possible, scholars say, that, that this idea drove some women, maybe some men, but some women to deny sex to their husbands, basically marital abstinence. Okay? which in turn would drive their frustrated husbands to the temple prostitutes, which he already addressed in chapter 6. So you have some people denying um, sexual intimacy to their spouses, which would develop, which would translate into frustration. Uh, some people were considering separation. Some people were considering divorce. Some people who were engaged decided to call off their engagement. And so he has to address this. And he says in verses 3 through 5, the husband should give to his wife conjugal rights. Notice the word rights. And likewise, the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another. Now, this is remarkable in that society that devalued women as essentially property property of their husbands, Paul is saying something remarkable. No, actually, the husband belongs to the wife and vice versa. Mutual ownership of each other. Remember last week, he said, honor God with your body. You've been bought with a price. And now he's saying, and your spouse in a way owns you too. Don't deprive one another. And he extrapolates out further. He takes this even further in verses 8 and 9. He says, now to the unmarried and to the widows. Okay, so if you don't have a wife, if you don't have a husband, if they can't exercise self-control, they should marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Or Nancy Piercy in her book, Love Thy Body, puts it this way, channel your sexual energy into marriage. And so here we see Paul stress. Paul stressing, like Jesus did before him, like Moses did before them, this one man to one woman marriage paradigm as the context for sexual expression. There's celibacy and there's one man married to one woman sex. Those are God's ordained options. And he goes on further in verses 10 and 11, he protects marriage from Christ's perspective and from the perspective of the law of Moses. And he says, the wife should not separate from her husband. The husband should not divorce his wife. Now, just as an aside, I really need to be clear that Paul is not here declaring divorce to be some sort of unforgivable sin. Uh, The church too often treats divorced people like they're some kind of freaks. And we really shouldn't do that. It's not right. God says in the Old Testament, I hate divorce. And then he went and divorced his wife. Just read the book of Hosea. Read Jeremiah chapter 3 where God says, I divorced, I sent my wife, Israel, a certificate of divorce for her unfaithfulness. If you want to look into the biblical concept of divorce, just read J. Adams, 
marriage, divorce, and remarriage in the Bible, in which he points out uh, God's view on divorce. He hates it, but because we are sinners and we live in a fallen world, there are some, very few, but some exceptions where divorce becomes necessary and even a good thing. It must be regulated. All right, now I'm off on that aside. I do want to say this is Paul's point. His point in everything he's saying here is to say, look, folks, stay married or get married and have sex. In that context, that's the norm. Our society needs healthy marriages. Healthy marriages committed to holiness. Now, remember, Paul's definition, if you've been following along, Paul's definition of holiness is being in the world but distinct from it. Our culture needs healthy marriages. And, and, and in Christian marriage, in marriage, in any marriage, uh, we pursue sexual purity between one man and one woman where two different sexes come together and form one. That's what Moses said in Genesis. The two become one flesh. Jesus repeated it. Paul repeated it. The two different sexes become one. And what this does is it reflects the joyful union of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, different persons, one God. Marriage and sexual intimacy within the context of marriage reflects the glory of our triune God in a way that no other human relationship does. That's why it is so important to define marriage as God defines it in his word, because it directly reflects the image of our creator. This type of marriage nurtures stable households, Stable places that are the safest uh, in, uh, to, to raise children in. Not the only way, but the safest environment for raising children. And ultimately, that becomes an alternative lifestyle, radically alternative lifestyle to what our culture thinks is normal. But marriage isn't the only lifestyle ordained by God for our contentment and peace. Singleness is an exception. But for those who are called to it, it is equally blessed. Paul says in verses 6 and 7, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God. One of one kind and one of the other. And the word gift there is really important. Paul's implying that some are called to singleness by God, that it is their God-given calling. And Jesus said the very same thing in Matthew chapter 19. He goes on to say in verses 37 and 38 about this, he who marries his betrothed, betrothed means a virgin. He who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Now, why would Paul say something like that? How, How is it that Paul believes that you would do even better to stay single, that, that getting married is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It's the normal thing. It's what people should do. But, but that being single would be even better. How would, why would he say something like that? Well, I think what explains it is if you just skip back to verses 33 and 34. He says, the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and in spirit. See the integrated view of human existence, body and spirit. 
The unmarried person is completely devoted to the Lord and how to please him in body and in spirit. You know, I thank God for Becky and our six children, and and I would want no other form of life. I I asked God when I was 13 years old, Lord, would you give me a wife and kids? And, and, And I didn't deserve it, but by his grace, he did. And I wouldn't want it any other way. Having said that, Um, My time with God, my efforts in ministry, any endeavor in which I'm involved is constrained by family life. My spirituality, my work in ministry, being a pastor, playing with Legos, exercising, having, you know, a minute to yourself is constrained by family life. And you know what? It should be. It needs to be that way. God saved the world and all of you by calling me to marriage and parenthood. Uh, Nothing has, has grown and stretched and sanctified me more than being a husband and being a father. That's what God called me to. And it's okay that my family life constrains every other aspect of my existence, even my pursuit of Christ and in my faith. You know, if, if on a working day, if, if, if I'm not awake by 5 a.m. to pray and meditate and read, it, it doesn't happen. Does, doesn't happen. You can judge me if you want. That's the reality. Family life, marriage constrains your energy, your time, your focus to give yourself to your God. And it should be that way. It needs to be that way. We've just got to work it out. But the single Christ follower has a tremendous spiritual advantage. The Old Testament tells us that children are a gift, right? Well, look at what Paul's saying here. Singleness is a gift. Singleness, don't forget this. Singleness is a gift. Society needs not only healthy marriages, but healthy singles, with abundant resources of time and focus and energy in order to serve, in order to bless, in order to give of themselves. See, in singleness, you reflect the glory of God. Your sexuality reflects the glory of God as well. In marriage, it's that union that reflects the glory and the oneness of the triune God. But in singleness, you pursue celibacy. And in your celibacy, get this, you reflect Christ's undivided devotion to his heavenly father. He didn't take a wife when he was here. He didn't have a family. He didn't have a home. He didn't have descendants. He was fully devoted to his heavenly father. Now, if you're single because you're selfish, if you're single because you want your time, you want your energy, you want your money, you want your resources for yourself, or you want to do what you want with your body, with whomever, whenever you want. If you're single for those reasons, you've got a problem, and you probably have to grow up. If you're single because it is a calling, if you're single because God has called you to it, don't let anybody, anybody look down on you for that. Nancy Piercy writes that Christians have a responsibility. I think the church needs to hear this. 
Christians have a responsibility to create structures in which celibate singles can enjoy committed relationships and express non-sexual affection. Those who have wrestled with sexual issues have often suffered deeply. They've made greater sacrifices than most, often have given up hopes for sexual intimacy for a family of their own. To survive, they've had to dig deeply into the spiritual resources of their relationship with God. As a result, they may become wounded healers with deep wells of compassion and sympathy and spiritual wisdom to offer in ministry to others. The church can benefit from their insight and experience. So in your singleness or in your marriage, in whatever your situation, you can thrive. You don't have to view it as I'm missing out, I'm lacking. Here's the thing, though. You cannot let your situation dominate your identity. You can't look at your situation and simply say, this is just who I am. Look at what Paul does in verses 29 through 31. I'm going to summarize it, but he basically says, from now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. Does he mean that literally? Thankfully, no. He says, and he goes on and he gives other illustrations. He provides some analogies. He said, and look, if those who rejoice live as though they don't rejoice, and those who mourn live as though they don't mourn, and those who buy things live as, though live as though they don't have any possessions, and those who live in the world and live as though they don't live in the world. Well, what is he talking about? He's not asking people to functionally reject or deny their situation, their status as married or single. What he is saying is this, in the name of Jesus, we are to de-emphasize our situation's demand on our identity. Tim and Kathy Keller in their book, The Meaning of Marriage, put it this way. Paul says that both being married and not being married are good conditions to be in. We should be neither overly elated by getting married nor overly disappointed by not being so. If gaining Christ, as Paul said in Philippians 3, which we read earlier, if gaining Christ and and being found in him is not your first love, then you're living by, you're, you're nurturing an idol, a false god. If Jesus isn't your greatest desire and your greatest contentment, then something else is, even if it's your marriage, even if it's the hope of being married, even if it's pride in being single and independent, even if it is a particular community in which you identify because of your particular struggle or temptation, if that's the thing, if that's where all of your identity is poured into, you've got a problem. Identifying in Jesus, though, yearning for Jesus more than anything is the only path to real contentment in your situation. In verse 35, Paul summarizes his heart for the Corinthians and everything he's saying here in this chapter. He, he says to them, this is why I'm giving you all of this advice for all of these different circumstances, to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. To secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. 
Whatever your situation is, ask yourself, are you all for Jesus? Are you married? Are you all for Jesus? Are you single? Are you all for Jesus? Do you struggle with a particular temptation? Do you find yourself uh, identifying with uh, a subculture, a subgroup in our life and society that shares your struggle? Well, that may be a very good thing, but don't let that become your identity. You see, you've been all about that. You've been all about that marriage. You've been all about that relationship. You've been all about being single. You've been all about that temptation. You've been all about that particular struggle. And you're still not content. And this is why you're not content. No matter how hard you try to be pure, to find somebody, to fix things. Tim and Kathy Keller say again, this is why. Because Christ is the only spouse that can truly fulfill us. God's family is the only family that will truly embrace and satisfy us. Now, shame on us as a church if we don't make that a reality, that people feel the church is the only family that will truly embrace and satisfy them. That's our calling by the grace of God as a spiritual community. You see, Jesus was all for you. I'm asking you, you know, ask yourself, are you all for Jesus, whatever your situation? He was all for you. Jesus, Jesus is the only single man with a bride. He's the only single man with a bride, and he is all for you. Hey, if you're married, Jesus is all in for your marriage or your recovery from a bad one. He is all in. Yearn for him even more. Scripture says that Jesus gave himself up for his spouse, the church. So let him teach you about commitment Hear his wisdom. Receive his grace and his encouragement to be a committed person to another human being. But Jesus is also all in for you in your singleness. He is all in. He is with you. Yearn for him. You know, Scripture said that the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. He didn't have a home. He didn't, he didn't have a family. Let him lead you out of your loneliness. Let him offer you his presence. Let him lead you into a life of fruitfulness and productivity where you see your calling as a gift to serve him in ways that I can't. Whether you're married or whether you're single or whether you're not sure what you should be, Jesus is your best hope for contentment. I think this is what leads us away from the kind of frustration that we find ourselves in emotionally, relationally, physiologically, sexually, contentment in Christ. That has to replace your desire for anything else. Even your desire for getting well has to be superseded by your desire for Jesus alone. So devote yourself to him in whatever your situation God's grace can be known and then broadcast through your marriage. And God's grace can be known in your singleness and broadcast 
through your singleness. So whatever your situation, whatever it is, all for Jesus. In your marriage, all for Jesus. It's not perfect. We all know none of our marriages are perfect. Our parenting, it's not perfect. All for Jesus. It's not about getting the kids to love you and obey. It's about where you find your identity in, in him. In your singleness, all for Jesus. In your loneliness, all for Jesus. As you try and figure out what to do with your time and your energy and your ability to focus, all for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, since your son was all for us, we ask that you would give us the faith to be all for him in how we cultivate our marriages, in how we reconcile with our spouses, um, in, in how we recover from bad relationships and destructive marriages. We ask for the grace and the faith to be all for him in singleness. Uh, we ask for his grace to be all for him as we struggle with temptation, as we hear what our society tells us is good and acceptable and true, and submit all of that to the light of your truth, to the healing of your grace. Father, redeem us. Uh, clarify all of this for us if we're confused. Heal us if we are broken. For the sake of our son, Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for his spouse, who committed himself as a single man for our benefit. Amen.